and welcome back to our retrospective look of the one-hit wonders. This week we have Eye of the Tiger by Survivor. In 1982, it was a platinum hit from the movie Rocky III. So let's wrap our hands and jump in the ring. Mark, I don't know about you, but that song makes me sweat just watching it. Yes, it does. It really pumps me up and motivates me. Coming up next on our one-hit wonders from the Bible, Third John. Hey, can you just like combine those into one book? Yeah, make it a two-chapter. Yes. What's uh, next week? Fourth John. Do you ever think two minutes could change your world, huh? <laughs> Pretty impressive, right? Uh, to tell you the truth, I was um, out of breath for about five minutes after that video shoot. I forgot how difficult jump roping is, my goodness. Did you ever think two minutes could change your world? The other night, Monica made spaghetti for dinner. And if you know me, if you hang out around me long enough, you'll learn two things. Number one, I love food. And number two, I have foot and mouth syndrome, pretty hardcore. And this night, my two, those two things converged into a perfect storm. So I got home from a long day at work, and I walked in, and I could smell the spaghetti cooking. I was so excited. So I ran, I got a big plate of spaghetti, and, and we said our prayer, and I took a big old bite, and looked at my wife, and I said, uh, is this a new sauce? <laughs> and she said, you know, I, I don't know. Then came that moment, right? I looked at my wife, whom I love, who had got home and made sure, you know, she knew I had a long day, so she made sure the spaghetti was ready when I got home from work, and she'd been working all afternoon, and, and I walked in, and uh, I looked at her, and I blurted out, hmm, tastes interesting. <laughs> Did you ever think two minutes could change your world? <laughs> it changed my night that night for sure. <laughs> it happens a lot. I, I'm kind of known for this. In my family, I once argued that uh, the best guitar player that ever lived was Jimmy Houston, not Jimi Hendrix. And I messed this up. And I said that the civil rights movement was greatly impacted by Ken Griffey Jr. and his I Had a Dream speech. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Everything two minutes could change your world. It happens all the time. Back in April, uh, I came home uh, from a work trip and came in the door. My wife met me at the door with one of these. And inside of it was my favorite candy, which are Sour Punch Straws, if anybody was interested. <laughs> Drop those off with Heidi at the receptionist during the week, okay? But anyway, Sour Punch Straws. But also that was in it was one of these, huh? Yeah, we're expecting our first child, right? We're very excited. Thank you, yes. Did you ever think two minutes could change your world, huh? <laughs> now, come on. It's 
not, come on. Let's go, guys, come on here. <laughs> wow, okay. <laughs> um, well, what about that time um, when your parents sat you down when you were eight and they told you that they were getting a divorce? Or what about that moment when the doctor came in with the report from the CAT scan and, you know, it said it wasn't very good? Or what about that special meeting your boss pulled you into to inform you that, you know, you need to start looking for work elsewhere? Do you ever think two minutes could change your world? It happens all the time. And our letter today, in the letter of 3 John, the shortest letter in the New Testament, so short that it could be written on a thank you note, we see that two minutes changes not just a life, but the world. Scene one, the good old times. How had it come to this? That was the question that kept turning in his mind over and over again that warm evening as he watched the sun set over Mount Elias. How did he end up on the, an island called Patmos in the Aegean Sea off the coast of Asia Minor, exiled, alone, old and tired? I mean, he was just a run-of-the-mill Jewish fisherman from Galilee. How did he end up an enemy to the most powerful nation on earth? Arrested, weary, and abandoned to this hunk of dirt. You see, and he began to think, yeah, that's right, it all started 60 years ago, when I was a teenager, on that cool morning on the Sea of Galilee. John was in the boat with his dad's workers, and they were pulling in another net of fish like they had done day after day, month after month, week after week, year after year. Yet John was jubilated when he saw this net because he knew he had beaten James. You see, him and his older brother had a, a competition every single week. Who could bring in the largest net of fish? And two days ago, John saw James's net, and he thought, there's no way I'm going to reach that mark. But when he saw this, he knew, oh my goodness, he knew. It was twice as big as James's. So he pulled it in, and they got into the boat, and they raced to the shore to show off his trophy. Him and his team, they started mending their nets like nothing big had happened. But he knew as he saw James with his arms crossed, biting his lip, looking at them suspiciously, that he had an inkling with what had just occurred. But before John could give his victory speech, there came in their dad's boat, and the moment they saw his goofy grin on his face, they knew who had won. It was a typical day on the Sea of Galilee. Then came that moment. They looked up, and it was that Jewish rabbi, that Jewish prophet named Jesus, standing there watching them in their boats with their fish. And he said... He said, come, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. It was like he could still hear those words, the tone, the inflection, like it was yesterday. Two minutes, that's all it took. Two minutes and his world was completely changed. And from that moment on, everything seems to move so fast. The teachings, the miracles, the campfires, the fishing trips, the miraculous weekend of the crucifixion and the resurrection. It's just a blur in his memory. 
And after Jesus had resurrected from the dead and had lived 50 days with them and ascended to heaven, things began to move even faster. John left the people he loved, the city he loved, the sea that he had grew, grew up on, and he, and he traveled the known world and ended up through a crazy set of circumstances in a city called Ephesus on the coast of Asia Minor. It wasn't an accident. It was part of the strategic plan of the early church to reach the known world with the good news of Jesus and his kingdom. You see, Ephesus, it was a strategic city. It was the cultural center of Asia Minor. The Romans had set their sight on Ephesus to conquer it and to retool it as the hub of all their trade route to the eastern lands. It had a Broadway with all the hot top musicals and around the corner was an agora or marketplace where their Wall Street was. The nations were in Ephesus, and it was strategic for the church as well. Scene two, from player to coach. So John came into Ephesus, and he was partnering with Timothy to establish churches all throughout that region. For John, it was exhilarating. It was like he was doing exactly what God had called him to do. Every few weeks, they're starting a new church in a new area of the region. They're raising up leaders within their churches and sending them to the farthest, most reaches of the known world. They were multiplying churches and starting a church for every person in every house on every street in the city of Ephesus. It was exhilarating for John. But then came the false teachers. You see, among John's leaders, there were these teachers that began claiming they had this special, superior knowledge, like they were setting themselves up more spiritual or more knowledgeable than all the other Christians. See, they weren't denying that Jesus was divine. You see, everyone believed that. They all believed he was God. They were denying that Jesus was ever actually human, that he came in the flesh. They said he was just kind of a spirit that hovered around. He looked and he seemed to be human. And some of the teachers, they said, you know, everything physical is worthless. Therefore, you need to abstain from indulging in any kind of physical desire. Here's all the foods you can't eat, all the good stuff. They said, and even husband and wife aren't allowed to have sex in a marriage relationship. While another group of the false teachers, they said, everything is physical is worthless. Therefore, it doesn't matter what you do with your body. Indulge in every desire that you have, which made for some very interesting and immoral church services and small group meetings. John knew that they had to be stopped. So he began speaking out against them and teaching why they were wrong, why Jesus was human. I mean, who better to do this than the last eyewitness that was alive, John? Yet these false teachers, they weren't the only threats to John and the Ephesian Christians at the time. A new emperor was on the throne named Domitian. Domitian was an immoral, violent punk of an emperor that had something to prove. You see, Domitian's dad, Vespasian, he was the emperor that had united the empire of Rome and kept that civil war from splitting the empire apart. And then Titus, Domitian's older brother, was the emperor that went down to Jerusalem and, and put to an end to the Jewish rebellion, destroyed the temple, and brought all the loot back to Rome. And Domitian watched from the sidelines his dad and his older brother get all the glory. Now it was his turn. So he decided he wanted to be worshipped as a god while he was alive. He didn't want to wait after he died like all the emperors before him. No, no, he wanted to be worshipped as a god now. 
this egotistical claim, it led to the second massive persecution of the church. What would happen? A local magistrate would have a Christian turned into him and he would make that Christian make an oath to the emperor as God or die. So these false teachers within the church and this persecution outside the church, it didn't take long for John, the leader of the church, to be arrested and tried and tortured and exiled to an island called Patmos where every morning he would get up He would look across the Aegean Sea, watch the sun rise over Ephesus, the city he loved, and desperately wonder, how had it all come to this? Scene three, the report. The sound of footsteps interrupted John's thoughts. It was the team that he had sent to Ephesus to find out how the church was doing. They had come back with the report. Do you want the good news, they asked, or the bad news first? John, weary from this greeting over and over again, whispered, just give me the bad news. Well, they said, Diotrephes. Diotrephes? I mean, really? John couldn't help but wonder, the man that I had led to the Lord, the leader I invested so much time into, the one that you guys are going to be staying with during your mission? I mean, all these questions began running through John's mind. I mean, what happened? Where have you been staying for the last month? Did the the mission fail or succeed? And what's going on with Diotrephes? And the team had to kind of quickly settle him down. And they they said, well, you know, Diotrephes, he's not one of the false teachers. He didn't get caught up in the heresy. They said he's not a mole for the Roman Empire either. I mean, he's not turning in people in the church to the local magistrates. They just said he's, he's divisive. He's disagreeable. He's a gossip. He's a slanderer. He's selfish. He didn't even welcome us into his home. He rejected us completely. But then came the good news. There's a man, they said, named Gaius. They said he invited us into his home. He welcomed us. He partnered with us in the mission to send off the other missionaries across the known world. He walks in the truth. He's committed to preserving the purity of the gospel that has been passed down through the generations. They said he's he's faithful. He's trustworthy. He's reliable. That they had found their man. But, they said, after we left, Diotrephes kicked him out of the church. He needs support. He needs help. He needs encouragement. Then came that moment. It didn't take long, two minutes or less. John hurried and went and grabbed a pen and put it to a thank you note. And he wrote this. The elder to my dear friend Gaius, whom I love in the truth. Dear friend, I pray that you may enjoy good health and that all may go well with you even as your soul is getting along well. It gave me great joy when some believers came and testified about your faithfulness to the truth, telling how you continue to walk in it. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. Dear friend, you are faithful in what you are doing for the brothers and sisters, even though they are strangers to you. They have told the church about your love. Please send them on their way in a manner that honors God. 
It was for the sake of the name that they went out, receiving no help from the pagans. We ought therefore to show hospitality to such people so that we may work together for the truth. I wrote to the church, but Diotrephes, who loves to be first, will not welcome us. So when I come, I will call attention to what he is doing, spreading malicious nonsense about us. Not satisfied with that, he even refuses to welcome other believers. He also stops those who want to do so and puts them out of the church. Dear friend, do not imitate what is evil, but what is good. Anyone who does what is good is from God. Anyone who does what is evil has not seen God. Demetrius is well spoken of by everyone and even by the truth itself. We also speak well of him and you know that our testimony is true. I have much to write you, but I do not want to do so with pen and ink. I hope to see you, and we will talk face to face. Peace to you. The friends here send their greetings. Greet the friends there by name. And John folded up that letter. He put it into an envelope, and he scribbled Gaius on the front. And he handed it to Demetrius, and he said, Here, take this to Gaius. He needs you. And that was it. It Took John two minutes to write the the letter. Did you ever think your did you ever think two minutes could change your world? Bill Hybels tells about the story of the founding of Willow Creek Community Church 40 years ago, the church he preaches at. He said he was in a graduate school class. Uh, at Wheaton Graduate School, and the professor was who they called Dr. B. He said Dr. B would speak passionately day after day, week and after week, about the church and the need for there to be churches who are more concerned with people who are outside the doors than the people who are inside the door- doors. The potential of the local church to change the world. Churches dedicated to following Jesus and being changed by Jesus and being on mission with Jesus. And after one of these lectures... Bill knew that God was moving in his heart to start one of these churches. He had no idea what that meant, early 20s. So he got up. He knew, though, he had to talk to Dr. B. So he got up and he walked down the long corridor to Professor's Row, where all the offices were. And he went up to his door, frightened, scared to death, not knowing if in between these classes this busy, popular professor would have time for a college-age student with a silly dream. But he went up to the door and he knocked. The door cracked open and Dr. B answered, yes, how may I help you? And Bill said, well, God's been moving in my heart and I feel like he's calling me to start one of these churches you're talking about. Do you have time to talk about that with me? And then came that moment, right? Didn't take two minutes. Dr. B swung his door open. He held out his hand. He said, come on in. What would you like to drink? And that two-minute conversation led to another conversation and a hundred other conversations. And Willow Creek Community Church was born 40 years ago. And today that church has over 20,000 people that come and worship at all their campuses. They started a global leadership summit, a conference where 260,000 plus Christian leaders from around the world come and are trained and inspired to go and advance God's kingdom. 
And Bill Hybels attributes all of that back to a two-minute conversation with Dr. B. Did you ever think that two minutes could change your world? It took John two minutes to write the letter, and it took Gaius two minutes to read it. Scene four, back up. He was in the middle of a mess. I mean, he was in the middle of a crazy time. His friends were being turned into the local magistrate and were being persecuted and killed while others of them were abandoning their faith. And then there were all the new books coming out by the intellectuals about this new knowledge. And they were attracting all the young people to their wild, immoral worship services. And then there was Diotrephes. Sure, he was, had been a Christian longer. He was in a leadership position in the church. But there was just something wrong about him. I mean, he didn't even receive the team that John had sent to Ephesus at all. He didn't welcome them into his home. He didn't have them over for dinner. He didn't bring them to church. He didn't introduce them to the other leaders of the church. He really just rejected them. So Gaius, not knowing what to do, he invited them into his home. He welcomed them. He partnered with them in their mission. This is now more missionaries to the known world. Even though Diotrephes didn't like it. And then when the team left, Diotrephes kicked him out of the church. He was alone, was frustrated, was confused, a little frightened. And then came that moment. There was a knock on the door. Gaius went and cracked it open, and a man was standing there, and he said, Hi, my name's Demetrius, and this is from John. Did you ever think two minutes could change your world? It took John two minutes to write the letter, and it took Gaius two minutes to read it. This is a shoebox. Pretty observant, right? And... uh in it are every letter or birthday card, anniversary card that I ever received from someone. Encouraging me about, you know, maybe my ministry or something that I had done at work or even a letter from Monica while we were dating. Um, all of these represent two-minute moments. A moment where someone wanted to speak into my life and took two minutes in order to do that. And I am myself, I am a cumulative effect of all of these two-minute moments. But then there are these. These are the 35 letters that my grandfather sent me while I was in college at Ozark. Each one is no longer than a page. They're all typed because you can't read his handwriting. Um, I'd like to read some to you. October 1st, 2007. It's hard to believe that it's already October. Wow, you're really into the semester now. It was my first semester at Ozark Christian College. I hope that cracks of time are working for you. He uses this phrase all the time, cracks of time. My granddad says, a crack of time is when you're going throughout your day and there's five minutes that you find here or ten minutes there. Instead of getting on Facebook or wasting it, use that time to read a few pages or use that crack of time to learn, you know, a new vocabulary word and language you're studying. Just use every crack of time strategically. Remember the five P's, he says. Prior planning prevents poor performance. <laughs> Have a great week. 
I pray for you every day as I always have. Romans 8, 37, granddad. January 22nd, 2008. I'm sure you are in the big thick of it with classes and study. Remember, learn God's word as in-depthly as you can. Where things are, comparisons, etc. It will pay off your entire life. April 4th, 2008, I have a picture for you. My printer, not working. <laughs> Stay on top of everything. And then he drew a clock with cracks in it for cracks of time, huh? <laughs> Love you, granddad, Romans 8:37. April 11th, 2008, one week later, finally had to buy a new printer. Could not get my old one to work. <laughs> April, uh, excuse me, August 17th, 2008, my second year at Bible College. Make sure you set a goal to do as good in your classes this year as you did last year. Study and stay ahead. And you know how to do that, don't you? Cracks of something or other. He's repetitive. Oh, by the way, I put $20 in for a haircut. It'll probably cost that much since you will need to be in a barber's chair for one or two hours. Ha. Huh? <laughs> oh, this is a good one. August 12, 2010. Enclosed, oh, this is after this, the fall semester after Monica and I got married. Enclosed are some quotes I think are really good. Also enclosed is a gift card for Cheddar's. It works like a debit card. So every time you go out for lunch or dinner, they just subtract from the balance of your account. Thank you. I didn't know. <laughs> really? <laughs> March 2nd, 2012, this was after uh, Monica and I knew we were coming here to Evansville to do an internship. Signed, Monica. Always be bold for him. As Deuteronomy 31, 6 says, be strong and of good courage and fear not. He will not fail you nor forsake you. And I'm convinced that the greatest opportunities will come to witness for Christ when you least expect it. Remember, plan every day as if it's going to be full of interruptions. And know that people will be pulling on you from every direction. Pray for wisdom constantly. I pray for you both every morning in my quiet time. I pray for your safety, the Lord's direction in your life, and that he will use both of you. And always remember Romans 8.37. We are more than conquerors through him who loves us. I love you both very much. Granddad. Did you ever think two minutes could change your world? It has for me. We don't know what happens to Gaius and Demetrius and Diotrephes or the church in Ephesus. We could probably put together an educated guess from church history or the tradition of the church. But that's not really the point, is it? There's one thing in common with all these books we've been studying in this one hit wonder series, and it's this they're all products of two minute moments. It took him two minutes to write the letter and two minutes to read it. I can't help but wonder that 
300 years later, after the church in Ephesus still existed, the Council of Nicaea brought together all of the writings of the early church, all the letters from the apostles, and they decided which ones were going to be a part of the Bible, the canon, the rule by which every church from there on out would follow and submit and be guided by. And I'm pretty sure the church in Ephesus, 300 years later, came forward with a shoebox. They opened it up. They pulled out an old envelope. And they said, had Gaius scribbled on the front. And they said, here, we, we know it's not much, but it's, it's changed our world. I don't know where you're at today. I don't know if you know the story of my God and my Jesus. But God, who is beyond space and time, who to him a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like a day, who spent 33 years on this earth, which is like a drop in the bucket compared to eternity, like a two-minute moment, came and lived and died and rose again and offers new life to all who come to him. Perhaps you're in the middle of a mess. Perhaps your life's in shambles. Perhaps your marriage is deteriorating because of infidelity or deception. Perhaps you're caught in an alcohol addiction you just can't beat. Perhaps your life is like a vase that has been broken into a million pieces and you have no idea how it's going to all come back and fit together. Friends, I believe that my Jesus can change the trajectory of your life in the next two minutes. If you want to talk about how that happens, accept this amazing grace we've been talking about. Then after this song is sung, I ask that you remain seated and a section host or a pastor would love to come talk to you about that. But I do think that this song has a word for us today.
is one of those moments. Your life, your world, the trajectory of your eternity can be changed today. You accept the death that Jesus offered, taking on your pain, your shame, your guilt, breaking the chains of your 